was inspired by a text that I received from Daniel. From Daniel. And uh, it's long overdue in the sense that I've been, I haven't preached on hell, in, a proper message on hell in about three years. And there's a message I did about three years or so ago, and it's called The Doctrine of Hell. And I advise you all to go and watch it because it's, it's going to be, um, well, it's a message that goes into the he- Hebrew and Greek terms that they used for hell to re- um, and, and a whole range of issues are in relation to hell and what people think hell is from a doctrinal standpoint. Um, so it's a very good sermon to watch just to get a, a full gist of, of the doctrine of hell. This message is not uh, going to be so heavily doctrinally. Um, it will, we will be covering the scriptures, but I'm not going into the root of words and all those sort of things today. But I received a text from Daniel, and he met with someone who... And I'll try to get where it's... Where, in Daniel's words, he said he was... He quite heatedly told him that the judgment that we talk about at Blessed Hope Chapel is wrong. And that Jesus died to cover all, and eternity is not a def. So Jesus died to cover all, and def. And sorry, and eternity is not a definite period of time. Hence, hell. This is a Christian man believes that hell will come to an end. And then he used a, an atheistic argument. And how can God, who draws all to Himself, have separation from those He created? Well, he can by hell. <laughs> That's how he creates the separation. Um, believers, he created, he, he believes in a cleansing period if we don't get it right here. So that, that's purgatory. That's a Catholic doctrine, isn't it? Um, so I've known them. I won't go any further with that. So basically what we've got is Christians in mainstream churches that have no concept of hell. Like as in what the Bible has to say about it. Who knows the Bible talks about hell? Yeah? If the Bible talks about it as a reality, should we consider it a reality? If the Bible says it's forever and there's no escape, should we consider it forever and no way out? There's no, as Leonard Ravenhill would say, there's no court of appeal. There's no exits in hell. Once you're there, you're there. It's forever. And, you know, there'll be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. And it also says that about hell that the worm will never die. That means that you will always be conscious that you're there. Not you guys. I'm not saying you. Because I'm praying that you will never have to ever go to this place. Now, the Bible talks about it and says that hell is a reality. But what does the world say? They say it's a myth. They say it's a creepy legend in the Bible or whatever. Some places say it's a fun place. Like they rock bands sing about it as the place to be. You know, you want to go there because <laughs> that's where the party's going on. You know, the, how can Satan deceive them so easily? You know, to believe that a place, a furnace, is a party. <laughs> you ever seen anything in a furnace? Do you see it having a party? No, it's melting, it's burning, it's getting destroyed. You don't want to go there. So let's have a look at this. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 10. And it says this. 
God is just. That's why we should fear him, because he's just. He deals justly with the unjust. And who are the unjust? Me and you. Me and you. He will deal justly with us, and we will receive what our sins deserve, except if we've repented, he will wash them away by the precious blood of Jesus. And why is that? Because Jesus saw a desperate need on earth. He saw a, a reality that exists called hell. He saw mankind who all deserved to go there. And he had a dilemma. God was in a dilemma. What do I do? Not that he ever thought that. That's what I would have thought if I was gone. You know, what do I do now? Come in. So what did he do? He created a solution. He created a solution for the problem that men deserve hell. Hell's a reality, and he has to make sure that men have a, a way of not having to go there. And what was that way? The cross. The cross. If you want to know the power of the cross, that's it. The power of the cross has the power to not only keep you out of hell, but give you an entry ticket into heaven. Right? But it's not cut and dry as we've discussed it's not once saved always saved put up your hand receive salvation and that's it no it's a transformed life led by the spirit the cross can cause us to become new creatures and that's what i have to become and i have am becoming because i can tell you now if anyone says i am it completely in one respect that it's true in one respect it's not in one respect, you are. You, you've been changed and transformed. Amen? You get changed and transformed. But who knows that you can very quickly become your old person again? Right? So what does that tell you? That it's not complete. It's complete if we run the race and if we make it to the finish line and we don't give up and we continue on the path of life. It's incomplete. We stop becoming new creatures the moment we turn back to Egypt, as it were, and become sinful again. Who knows it's easy to do that? Who knows it's so easy to slip in this modern age? Who knows it's, it's easy to do that if you don't hear a message on hell every now and then? If you don't get the wake-up call every now and then? And this is the issue we have today. As I said, that, that text I received from Daniel about a man who's been a Christian for 30 years, 30, 40 years, 70s, 80s. Yeah, not a Catholic Christian, an actual Christian in mainstream churches. And he doesn't believe hell is forever. He believes you can actually work off your sins in hell, which is a Catholic doctrine. It's, it's just crazy. I have got some information about where that came from. It came from some scriptures in 2 Maccabees. It came from the Apocrypha. That's where the Catholic doctrine of purgatory comes from. And penance also comes from Apocrypha. It doesn't come from here. Um, not to say that all Apocrypha is completely wrong. There's some really good things. But those sort of things is the reasons why they were not in the, this final canon. is because it's a teaching that you can pay your relatives out of, out of hell. You know. All right. So 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 10. Got a lot of scriptures to get through. I don't know how I'm going to do it today. 1, 6 to 10. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And what's he going to do? He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel 
of our Lord Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He punishes two kinds of people. He punishes those who do not know God, so they've never chosen to become followers of Jesus Christ, but also those who do not obey the gospel. Is he talking about those ones that will say, Lord, Lord, that they, they profess faith in Christ, but they don't obey Christ? That's a dangerous place to be because you don't want to fall into that category. They will be punished with, what's the next word? In everlasting. What's Anyone else got a different word there? Eternal. Okay, can we change that? They'll be punished with, you know, uh, a short term of <laughs> or a few hundred years of a temporary place where you will work it off. Does it say that? Why do these Christians believe it says that? Well, it's easy, it's comfortable, especially if you're deep in sin. It's comfortable to believe that it's not everlasting. They will be punished. So the Seventh-day Adventist teaches it's an eternal sleep. Hell. Eternal sleep, that you're, you're cut off. It, it's, it's annihilation, it's complete, and you don't. it's like you never know you ever existed. Doesn't it say punished? Does it say punished? Who am I to come and change this because I don't like this? If it says punished, it means punished. Anyone got a different word? Anyone got a different word? Punished with everlasting destruction and shut up from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. And shut up and they'll never, ever, ever see the light of day again. They will never, ever come into heaven. They will never receive anything good again. Shut up from God. Cut off from the land of the living. They're now in the land of the damned. Damned forever. It's a terrible place. This must be taught. Who knows it must be taught? Yeah? Everyone here knows it must be taught. You've got to teach this. It's not a nice doctrine. But unless you can understand and come to grips with the depth of this, you can't appreciate the cross at all. What You just look at Jesus on the cross and say, well, did he really have to do that? Until you see souls in hell forever and ever and ever and ever, never, ever, ever coming out again, you will, until you can see that and visualize it, you can't understand the cross and the power of what Jesus did there. It just makes it, glor it the glory of Jesus on the cross is just awesome. The thankfulness in your heart is awesome. And this is the beautiful thing. You don't have to go to hell. People said, how can God, you know, punish people in hell? Well, he made a... He made an escape clause. He made a way out. And it's just turn away from doing evil and begin to do good and follow Christ and be holy as he is holy. That's a good, you know, that's, I, I think that's pretty good. I'm, I'm like, okay, if that's all I have to do, I'll do it. I'll be the holiest I can be. I'll be the best I can be. I'll do the 
right, uh, be as right as I can possibly be and live for him. And I don't have to go to hell. And this is why I preach this. This is why I preach on hell. Because to many people in the world today, and I would dare say 1% or 2% of the world won't go to hell, and there's a good chance that we're going to see huge percentages of the world going there because the world generally hates Jesus Christ. There is a huge percentage of people that have the potential to go to hell. And this is the sad thing. We just talk about it. We just talk about it. And it's just, it's some people go, will you not talk about that sort of stuff? I don't want to hear that. But what will it be like to exist in it forever? Never to come out again. What would it be like to be in hell and never have a way of escaping it? So you know how we're sitting here now, we're breathing the air, there's light coming into the room, and, you know, whether we've got a headache or not. I've got a headache at the moment. I just woke up with one. I've been painting like this. <laughs> My neck is. And uh, this feels fantastic compared, doesn't it? You know, you imagine if the only reality you knew, the only reality you knew was burning burning, burning. And I tell you, you'll, you'll be burning for one minute and everything that ever preceded that will be forgotten. You'll only be thinking about the moment you're in right there, burning. That's all you're going to know. And that's all you're going to have for eternity. And you know how I know this? The Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me. I didn't make this up. You know what? If it wasn't in here, I wouldn't teach it. But because it's in here, I have to teach it. I have to. And, and I have to warn Christians and non-Christians that hell is real. Hell is real. And one day, you know, those that have rejected Christ and not done his will will be there. And that's the only reality they're going to know forever and ever. And it will never change. And it can't change. And it's end. There's no court of appeal. You can't say, God, give me another chance. It's one chance. You get it wrong, that's it. So what do I say? Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Whatever you're doing in your life that is sin, cut it off. If it comes back, cut it off again. If it comes back, cut it off again. And just start living for Jesus, and then you will not have to fear hell. And you can say with Paul, I have run the race. I now will receive the prize. I will receive it gladly. And I'm sure the prize he's talking about is just heaven. He's not expecting a crown. Could you imagine him? I'm going to get that crown and put it on my head. No, that's Jesus. <laughs> Why do the 24 elders throw the crowns before the Lord? It's like, I'm not worthy of this. It's you. It's all about you. Now, if this is working inside you and it's starting to disturb you, it's a simple thing. Accept Jesus, do what he says, live for him, cut off all sin, and don't risk it. Don't risk hell by dabbling in sin. Don't risk it. All right. What people say about hell. What is hell? I maintain that it is the suffering of being unable to love. Hmm. Okay, that's one way of looking at it. Fyodor Dostoevsky, I think he was a little short on his definition. 
just a little bit. Someone once told me the definition of hell. The last day you have on earth, the person you have become will meet the person you could have become. I'll say, regrets is now hell. Really? Well, while you're still alive, that might be considered his hell, but the moment you die, reality will strike. What is hell? Hell is oneself. Hell is alone. The others, the other figures in it merely projections. So hell is oneself. Hell is alone. Hmm. You certainly will, you, well, you won't be alone, but you won't have friends. When you're in hell, you're alone among many. That's, isn't that a poor way of looking at hell? Little wonder he doesn't turn to Jesus, or I hope he did, or she, he or she, turns to, turn to Jesus before they die. Hell, when you hit the worst of your trials, you find out which compatriots are your true friends or complete lunatics. Gee, that is the worst definition of hell I've ever heard. So it's all about friendships. Go to heaven for the climate and hell for the company. Did ACDC write that? <laughs> See, they mock at it. They make fun of it. Go to heaven for the climate. What? <laughs> Go to heaven for the beauty and the joy and the majesty of seeing the king of kings and the gold streets and the, the city of God and father and not having to be a son because he is the light. Go to heaven because you... He died for you. And there's no company in hell. That's a deception. And I wrote down the, these, these lyrics. I could have, if I went through all the rock songs, Joe Schimmel's done a great um, you know, a documentary called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, which covers all the lyrics of, or not all of them, many of the lyrics of some of the famous rock songs and how they're all related to hell. But who knows this song? Live an easy... I'm not going to sing it. Living easy, loving free, season ticket on a one-way ride, asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme, ain't nothing that I'd rather do. Going down, meaning going down to hell, party time, my friends are going to be there too. I'm on the highway to hell. What? He should have called it the low way to hell. No stop signs, speed limit, nobody's going to slow me down. Like a wheel, going to spin it, nobody's going to mess me around. Hey, Satan, paid my dues, playing in a rockin' band. Hey, mama, look at me, I'm on the way to the promised land. See how Satan's got in? That song is one of the biggest hits in the history of the world. ACDC, I'm on the highway to hell, and they're making people think it's the promised land. It's not the... The promised land is a word from the Bible. And it's about Israel's promised land. It's also an, um, a typology of the promised heaven. But Satan's got into this band and said, you know, that's where the party is. Tell them that's the promised land. Make them want to go there too. So you go to an ACDC concert and what they're all doing? They're all doing the Satan salute. It's major deception. But they're not alone in this. A huge portion of rock bands sing about hell as the place to go. Remember I had a, a video of, um, who's the lead singer of, ex oh, the past lead singer of Queen, um, Freddie Mercury, saying, about, when he was asked about religion and stuff, he says he wants to go to hell because that's where the, all the good people are. That's where all the party, the party's happening. Yeah. See, the influence of music is powerful. 
Music is behind a lot of stuff that's going on today. Satan can, and this is Charles Spurgeon, he says, Satan can make men dance upon the brink of hell as though they were on the verge of heaven. And he didn't even know about ACDC when he wrote that. Dance on the brink of hell as though they were on the verge of heaven, as though they were going to the promised land. How wrong they'll be. And it'll take them roughly, in my opinion, two seconds, three seconds before they realize they're wrong. They, you know, there's a, uh, uh, not Alistair Crowley, Anton LaVey was the father of the, uh, or not the father, I won't call him the father, leader of the um, Church of Satan and the founder of the Church of Satan. And they said as he was dying, he was slipping in and out of consciousness. And then as he was coming back to consciousness, he was screaming, I'm wrong. I've been so terribly wrong. I've really, I've this, <laughs> you've got no idea. I've messed it up. You know, he was freaking out because as he was viewing his eternity and he was coming back into consciousness, he realized how wrong he had been. He's not Satan's right-hand man down there. What Christians say about hell, not believing in hell doesn't lower the temperature down there one degree. Just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, how many people do you know that you tell them something that you've experienced and they said, no, nah, I don't believe that? Have you ever had a situation like that? Yeah. And uh, does that change the reality that it happened to you? And here's another Charles Spurgeon quote. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. See, I'm preaching this not so we can... It's not just for, for us to make sure that we attune our life to the gospel but it's also so that we get more desperate in what we're here for. Because everyone you know is going to face judgment. Everyone you know is going to stand before the King of Kings. And each one of them will be judged and will be sent to one of two places. There's no purgatory. We know that. You'll either go to heaven or hell. Morality, and I've never heard this before, morality may keep you out of jail... But it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. It may keep you out of, out of jail. Being a good person, that's what it will do. But the blood of Jesus will keep you out of hell. Good, doing good things won't keep you out of hell. That's important to keep in mind. This world is all the hell that a true Christian is ever going to endure. So you know what? The worst of it is now. If this life is bad in some degree, embrace it. Say, well, God, thankfully, this is as bad as it's going to get because we've got heaven to look forward to where no more stresses and problems and you know, hardships are going to be coming our way. And it is, this world, though, is all the heaven that unbelievers shall ever enjoy. Someone who doesn't believe in Jesus and doesn't follow Jesus, this is the, this is the best part of their life. And if they're having a miserable life now, forget it later. You know, and it, we've never been at a time where there's so many people questioning the reality of the Bible. For many centuries, it was just received by, the, the most, by most people, you know, especially in Western world and even in the Eastern world. 
But we're living in an age where the portions of people that are like families with histories of Christianity, their generations now are turning away from Jesus, their younger generations. So we're seeing this major backsliding. And what does the Bible say about the last days? Many will fall away from the faith and betray and hate each other and the love of most will turn cold. Make sure you don't fall away from the faith. Make sure your love doesn't grow cold. So my my thing to you is this, is if you have doubts or if you're thinking, I don't know if I can fully understand the fullness of this and I still have my doubts in relation to it, just don't let them drive you from doubt to disbelief. See them as things that you put to God and say, God, help me get through this. Help me work these things out. Reveal these things to me. Put in my heart a passion to read the Bible. You know when the scriptures really do impact you the most is when you read this thing regularly. If you stop reading it, if you just say you haven't read it for a month and then you hear a sermon, there's something inside you that nearly has a, creates a doubt in you. Or a little bit of unbelief will enter into you. And it won't impact you as much. But read this thing regularly and who knows that it will impact you continually. Yeah? Who's experienced that? Yeah, so the more you read it, the more you'll grow. And it's so easy to read it less and less. It's so easy. Things that are easy to do are also easy not to do. All right, when sinners are careless and stupid, this is Charles Finney. I love Charles Finney. I don't care what people say about him. I haven't read a bad thing that he's ever said. When sinners are careless and stupid and sinking into hell unconcerned, it is time the church should bestir themselves. It is as much the duty of the church to awake as it is for the fireman to awake when a fire breaks out in the night in a great city. When sinners are careless and stupid. Are sinners careless and stupid at present? Could you say that they're, they're going, you know, they're getting crazier and crazier? Are the younger generations getting crazier and crazier? Well, this is a time to awaken. This is a time as a church to really get it together and go, okay, this is business. We've got to get down to business. Actually, this is war. Let's, let's take up our shields. Let's take up our swords. Let's not hold back. What are we doing? So keep that in mind. That's a really good, a good uh, quote. Disbelieve hell and you unscrew, unsettle, and unpin everything in Scripture. J.C. Raw. If you disbelieve hell, you unscrew, unsettle, and unpin everything. That's why the Seventh-day Adventists have so much trouble. They unscrew, unsettle, and unpin the Scriptures by their belief about hell as does many other religions. If you teach a purgatory where if you're not a perfect Christian, you're just a Christian that sins, you get a purgatory, and you have to just sort of work off your sins, that's not so bad. You think, oh, God will be merciful to me and will let me out in a little while. I might have to endure it, but I won't have to endure it forever. So there's still an option. I'm trying not to sneeze right now. (laughs) I can feel it coming. I don't know what's going to happen. I've never sneezed behind the pulpit before. I'd have to take this little black thing off. Or all right, that's no, gone. Phew. The national anthem of hell is "I did it my way." Bill Bill says that all the time. Hey, 
Yep, yep. I did it my way. Hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. G.K. Chesterton. Now, when I first read that, I thought, oh, that's a bit. And then I thought, hang on, no. He's giving him freedom, dignity of human choice. You can go to hell if you choose, or you can humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ. What a way with words. Yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? What a compelling motive we have for prayer, for preaching, for soul winning, when we learn that every responsible human being who leaves this world without a definite change in heart immediately lifts his eyes in hell, tormented in flame. John Rice. Yeah, I wish it was John Rice. Our teacher, John Rice. Yeah, and uh, I wish he said that. That is a powerful thing. Unless you have a changed heart, make sure you have a changed heart. Make sure Jesus Christ has entered your life completely and that you're following him. Concerning homosexuality, this one's brought hell out of heaven on Sodom. Charles Spurgeon. So that was the end of the matter. Does God approve of homosexuality? No. It drew hell out of heaven. Multitudes of people who expect to go to heaven will go to hell, of, to a hell of torment. Thousands of good people, moral people, church members, even church workers, yes and alas, even prophets, priests and preachers will find themselves lost when they expected to be saved, condemned when they expected approval, cast out of heaven when they expected to be received into eternal bliss. That is the explicit meaning of the words of our Lord spoken in Matthew seven twenty one to 23 and that's john rice again i like john rice let's read matthew 7 21 to 23 and i i think this would probably be my most quoted scripture um in my ministry and when you read it you'll realize why it should be everyone's most quoted scripture we need to keep reflecting on it because it gives us an insight into the judgment that is powerful. Everyone there? Not everyone, Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will, only he who does the will, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Or the King James, away from me, you workers of iniquity. So you must do the will. You must do the will of the Lord to enter into the kingdom of the Lord. Now that's interesting. So the will of the Lord is paramount. That means we must follow the leadings and promptings of the Spirit. Here's some visuals. Multitudes falling into hell. The torment of hell where the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Endless torment. Okay. 
It's everlasting. Matthew 18, 8. Everyone knows this, I'm sure. It's the last part of it. And it says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. So what he's saying there is it's better to get an axe and cut your own foot off than it is to go to this place. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Does everyone's version say eternal fire? Sorry? Everlasting fire. So forever fire. Fire that never ends. Let's go to the next one. Mark 9.43. And this is the same... um, illustration that jesus is using if your hand causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to go into life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out never ever goes out and if your foot causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell and if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die. It means you're conscious continuously and the fire is not quenched. It will not get any cooler. There's no air conditioners in hell. Everyone will be salted with fire. We're getting salted with fire on earth. I will talk about it. This time on earth, we get salted now meaning we have to go through the fire of tribulation, the fire of troubles and hardships. That's what we have to go through in life. Who has Put up your hand, or actually put up your hand if you've never had any troubles while you've been alive. I don't see any hands going up. So is trouble common? Yeah. Who's married here? Put up your hand if you're married. Right. Have you ever had trouble with your partner? <laughs> you realize when you have trouble with your partner you're getting salted (laughs) you know salt on an open wound or i won't go any further right so matthew marriage is good i i I approve of marriage matthew (laughs) why are my eyes watering up (laughs) they're salted all right marriage why do i say marriage matthew (laughs) Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who are we to be afraid of? God. Why? Because he can put you in hell. And we're going to continue. Luke 16, 19 to 31. And uh, this story... I want to reflect on a little bit. I think it's going to be quite helpful. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Do you know, if that rich man, if if the life he led was compared to us today, we would be living a better life than that rich man. The luxury we live with, as long as we don't live, you know, and make our lives miserable by being messy and, you know, and unhygienic and, and stuff. We live a better life. We, we, we're dressed 
really well, aren't we? Most of the time, if we choose to be, and we, our, we've got all the conveniences that we have are so much greater than what other what the people of the past have had. So we are those rich. We are that rich man. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. He was in a miserable condition. And he probably found relief from the dogs licking his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. He was so thirsty. I always think all he's requesting is a drop. Have you ever dipped your finger in water and put it on your tongue? can't even taste it, can you? But he is that dry that that little drop of water would have satisfied him for a moment. That's how. Have you ever been that thirsty? I've never been that thirsty. I've been thirsty, but I'm, I'm thinking, give me a gallon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Never, remember, Luch, we nearly died up at Morialto one time. That's exaggeration. Um, we were running and we got lost in Morialto. And uh, we had no water with us, and we were gone for hours, and it was heat, like 38 to 40 degree heat, and we're running, and we're like, oh man, you know, we, you feel like you're going to die. And all we dreamed of was finding that tap on the way back and just drinking. And uh, when we got there, I, I wasn't going for a, a drip on my tongue, I was going for the whole, everything that Adelaide had, just pour it. <laughs> That's how thirsty I felt. So Matthew... 16, 19 to 31. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So this guy is in hell. He is conscious he's there. He can talk to Abraham. At that time, Abraham was in uh well, his, what they called paradise was Abraham's bosom because that's pre the cross. So at that time there was a place called paradise and souls went there. And souls that didn't obey God went to hell. So hell existed but also paradise. Paradise is now empty, by the way. It got emptied when Jesus, um, uh, after he finished what he did and he went to heaven with a trail of those in, in his wake. He brought them like a train into heaven from paradise with Abraham leading the way. So hell was there and it's still there, but at that time there was a chasm that they could actually communicate, obviously. Now that, did you know that's going to be there? That chasm of communication is still there from heaven. And who knows the scripture I've quoted? It's in the book of, anyone know? Isaiah 66. All right, we're, go, we're going to quickly go, though, go there because people say, oh, you can't communicate in that. Well, this is different. I don't know if you can communicate. You can at least view. I call it a viewing platform of hell where we're commanded to view those that had rebelled against God. 
and you'll do that forever and ever and ever. So in eternity, you're going to be going and viewing hell forever and ever and ever. Actually, it won't be called hell then. It'll be called the lake of burning sulfur because hell itself will be lifted up and thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and destroyed along with death and the devil and the false prophet and the beast and all those that have deceived mankind as well as all those that have rebelled against God is all thrown into this lake of burning sulfur. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. See, you can't get out. Who believes that when Jesus used this story as an illustration of hell, that he was speaking of an actual situation? I believe that. I don't believe he made the story up. I don't believe he, 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 he saw this happen in the spiritual realm and he described a happening because it was the perfect illustration for a point he chose to make. Some people say, oh, no, he doesn't really, this is just a, an analogy. This, he made the story up. It's an it's not, it didn't really happen. But that would mean that Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. That means he was just making up stories. He makes up stories. He, he takes from things that actually happen and, and from nature and, that, and uses analogies for us to have a better understanding of his points that he's making. Jude 7. Let's just quickly turn to Jude. And I will read that scripture about the viewing platform in just a second as well. So in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Eternal, never-ending fire. The Sodom and Gomorrah and how it came down from out of heaven. So not only did they get burned up from a physical standpoint, but their eternal torment began then as well and they never they're still there now how many thousands of years has that been at least four so say four thousand years they've already been down there four thousand years Whew. you know we, we haven't even most of us haven't been alive that long we haven't none of us have been alive a hundred years and some some of us think this is tough you know but imagine four thousand years and they're still burning in hell the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Whew. That's home for them. Okay, let's go to Isaiah. It's not in my notes, so I just remember it. Just go to Isaiah 66. So it's right at the end of the book of Isaiah. It's the last scriptures, so it's easy to remember. Now, Isaiah 66 verse 22 says, everyone there? Yep. It says, as the new heavens, when's the new, excuse me, when's the new heavens going to appear? After, after the great white throne judgment. Better answer than I was going to give. So after everything is completed, the, and, and this is, Revelation 22, at the end of the book, when everything is done, the tribulation's done, the thousand years of peace is done, the, um, 
you know, the Satan is bound and cast, the white throne judgment is done, all those that are going to go into the lake of burning sulfur forever and ever, that's all done and complete, finished. Then, new heavens, as the new heavens and the new earth, this is what I love about the Bible, just no matter where you go, it's, it's a cohesive whole, it works together, it's all in sync, nothing conflicts with anything else. And if it does, it's only seemingly until you study it a bit deeper and then it's so easy to reconcile. So as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, what does that mean? Forever. Because if they're going to endure before God, they're going to endure. Is God eternal? The new heavens is going to be eternal. We don't want to miss it, guys. We don't want to miss being part of that, being in that. You know, that is, it, it'll be an unspeakable time when it's all complete and this is, in a sense, the canon of prophetic scripture is all locked up and done, completed, it's finished. And we can put the book down in a sense, we'll still be picking it up for wisdom and truth but, and for reflection, but we'll put it down and go, he's done. Won't that be a powerful day? Bible and all the prophecies are finished and complete we have forever forever and ever and ever and never will we have to suffer or or, or mourn again it's done I can't wait for those days will we have a party will there be a party I believe it'll be the most phenomenal party you could possibly imagine. You don't want to miss that. You want to be there. You want to experience the new heaven and the new earth. You don't want to miss it. It's coming. It's coming. But it's all dependent on us now. What we do now is paramount. Everything heads towards judgment. I've said this many times. It all pins on that. One day when you get to judgment, you're standing there. You'll think everything and everything that you've ever wasted your time on will be so clearly evident at that moment. That's when you'll be going, man, gee, why don't I waste my time with that and that and that and that? Why wasn't I out on the streets trying to reach people all the time? Why wasn't I doing more for God? Why didn't I read the Bible more? Why didn't I pray 10 hours a day? Why didn't I do that so I could get a better judgment now? And I could have hundreds of souls beside me that got affected by my ministry. Why wasn't I committed? You don't want to be left in that position. You want to get there and go, Lord, I did everything in my power to serve you in the best way I possibly could. I cleaned my life up. I became a holy man or a holy woman. And I did it all for God because it doesn't matter. All this other stuff is inconsequential. It does not matter. That's what matters. It's when we get that revelation that we begin to live lives like John Wesley and Charles Finney and Charles Spurgeon and all the greats, Tory and all the greats of the past and Paul and Peter and John and Luke, etc., etc., Polycarp and Ignatius, all these mighty, mighty men of God. That's who we've got to be like. Don't let, uh, let things distract you. Don't let sin draw you away from following the way. All right, now it says this, As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. Now this is interesting. So will your name 
and your descendants endure. Now think of this. The story I just read, the, the story before about the rich man and Lazarus, who was given a name? The beggar, Lazarus, had a name. He's known in Scripture. He's known in eternity. His name is Lazarus. The rich man, who's he? Who knows? He's a rich man. He was deceived by his riches. No one knows him. In hell, no one knows anyone. And I'm pretty sure they'll probably have their minds that burnt that they won't even remember their own name. If Bon Scott of ACDC who sang Highway to Hell is down there, he doesn't know he's Bon Scott. And you know what? No one's standing next to him saying, Bon, you were awesome in your day, mate. All they're saying is, you led me astray. And he'll say, no, you led me astray. (laughs) They'll all hate each other. That's all Bon Scott's doing. That's all um, ACDC is doing. That's all these big super bands are doing. They're leading multitudes. And I'm talking, they have far more influence on the masses than the church. Far more influences. You know, you can revolutionize a person. You can turn a Christian into a non-Christian in one rock concert. 10,000 people out there and they deceive the lot. ACDC were just here. Just played here. And just deceived. What was it, 50,000? 55,000? 55,000 deceived. People all doing the Satan salute, all chanting, singing those themes... Highway to hell. Do you imagine 55,000 people singing, I'm on a highway to hell? What does that tell you? It's hard for the churches to get people to say, He is Lord, He is Lord. <laughs> Come on, church, <laughs> sing it. <laughs> Open your mouth and sing it. <laughs> you get to 55,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs, I'm on a highway to hell. Come on. This shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. <sighs> don't want to let the Lord down. We don't want to let the Lord down, guys. It's all about this. This life, it's so short. It'll be over like that and you'll be thinking, why didn't I do it with all my heart? Why didn't I live for him with everything in my being? Why did I let myself get deceived and sucked away? All this stuff that the world makes so interesting and it entices you to do and before you know it you've the day's over and you've just done worldly stuff all day who knows what i'm talking about it's so easy to just get distracted and deceived and led astray every day then we get the church on sunday and as long as rob's up here like screaming his brains out or something you might go home and spend a few hours but guys we've got to make this a a commitment, a life commitment, a life change. Let's just go for it. And I tell you, it'll be the best thing you ever did. You'll never regret it. Revelation is, and I'm only I'm going to finish on this one. I've got another screen of uh, scriptures. I might put it up for you to take a photo of. That's the last one of this screen, Daniel. Revelation 14, verse 11. All right, I'm going to go back to verse 9, if we could. And it says, a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, 
he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lord. He'll be tormented with burning sulfur. That's the lake of burning sulfur. And the smoke of their torment will rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast. See, there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. And do you know what? The mark is going to, I don't know when it's coming out, but it's, there's huge talk about it. I, I don't know if you saw this, the thing I did on this RFID thing, a little short little um, expose thing. Um, and they were talking about it in Sydney, and they're making these claims that this is the best thing think, since sliced bread, you know, to have, have this easy way of, con, you know, uh, doing tr uh, transactions in, in shops. You don't need to carry wallets with you, you just sort of zip, or you zip <laughs> across your head. And, and the technology is already set up, the pay wave is already there, so it's just a matter of time, isn't it? But what does it say? About this technology, about this very technology that is now here, has never been here in 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago this was written. It's never been here. 2,000 years. It's here now. Paywave is here. And he says, anyone wishes to be or his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on their hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been pulled poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. So what does that say? Don't take the mark. If you have to die of starvation, choose it. Yeah? Choose starvation. Just say, okay, I'll, I'll die of starvation. Because if I take the mark of the beast and I enter into the satanic world system at the level where it's become part of my flesh, I have just committed myself to eternal damnation. We're living close, guys. We are living close to the time of the end. Very close. It's scary. Now, can we go back to Isaiah? I didn't finish it. I just realized. I don't normally remember scriptures I don't finish, but just then I did, and I think I was just prompted by the Holy Spirit to go back there. So go to the last scripture of Isaiah. Okay, and I'll just quickly read it again. As the new heavens and the new earth and that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. Well, that's monthly, isn't it? All mankind will come and bow down. Sabbath is even weekly. That's coming towards the Lord, though. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And here we are. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. They will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. What a strange scripture to have to explain what's going to be happening for people who followed God during the new heaven and the new earth when it's been recreated what a strange scripture to 
tell us that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going out and looking upon the dead bodies. And whether that means new moon or every Sabbath, so whether it's once a month or once a week, you're going to have to go out and look there. My only way that I can equate that would be for God to keep his people holy for eternity, we've got to have constant reminders of what sin can do. Because remember, Satan was created holy, holy, a very holy creature. He was the greatest angel. He was a magnificent angel. He was like right up there, like nearly at the right hand of Jesus, you know, sort of guy. That Jesus would have been probably walking around with his arm around and, you know, you're the man. Angel. <laughs> you're the angel. You know? And he fell. Sin was found in him. So God's, God's got a, a new thing in mind for us. To keep us holy forever and ever and ever, we need to have a constant reminder that's going to slap us in the face and say, don't ever do it. Who's ever prayed, God, give me, a, give me a vision of hell? Has anyone ever prayed that? Am I the only one? I've prayed it. I said, God, don't send me there, but help me to see it. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, or John Wesley, I can't remember which one, he said that if, oh no, Salvation Army, um, William Booth, he said all his, all his uh, preachers and ministers that he trained up, he said, if I could get them just to be hung over the pit of hell for a week, that'd be ready for service. All we have to do is see it to have our life changed. You could not be the same if you could see into hell and gaze upon the dead there. And that is why I believe that's going to be our eternity, gazing upon the dead bodies of those that had rebelled. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. But it's going to be necessary because sin is grievous and that's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. At the moment we look to the cross, that's how bad it is. That's what God had to do because of sin. Now in eternity we can look and see the result. If they had only just looked to the cross, they would not be down there. If they just looked to Jesus, they would never have been thrown into the pit where there is no exits, there's no way out. You're there forever. You're there forever. And you watch it. You'll be up there for a billion years in heaven. A billion years. And you'll go up and you'll look again and they're still there. Nothing's changed. They're still screaming. They're still burning. It's not getting any easier. This is powerful. This is, this is, we've got to hear this. We've got to hear this. The church has to hear this. Christians need a transformation. Christians need to be transformed deep inside. Or else they're in danger of the fire of hell. This must change. This must change. Amen? Okay. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us all, Lord, for the sins we continue to commit. The ways that we've thought about things, the ways that we've approached our Christianity, the lack of love and compassion in our hearts for those that, are, that don't know you and that they're threatened with eternal separation. Forgive us that our heart doesn't burn for them and our eyes don't weep for them and our prayers don't go up towards heaven for them. Forgive us that we would rather despise our neighbor than pray for our neighbor. Forgive us that it's easier to gossip than it is to lift up holy hands and praise the Lord and pray for the souls of the lost. God, help us to become the bride of Christ. Help us to become pure, holy, and unstained. Clean us up, Lord Jesus. Make us a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of, of the Father, that we may declare your glory, that we may praise your name and when you appear Lord that we will not be ashamed but we will rejoice and when I say ashamed ashamed of ourselves I don't want Lord anyone here to be ashamed on that day when you return but that they will rejoice at your coming so get us ready now Lord lift us to new levels in you do a powerful work in each and every one of us here pray this in your wonderful name. Be with us now as a congregation as we, as we uh, have some time together, some fellowship time, and may you be with us by the power of the Holy Spirit and let it be a blessed time, I pray, in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.